Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell with Spencer Cowan and Philip Matthew here tonight as we bring you Talking in Circles. We're going to review the race at Dover, Dry Den 400 from Dover International Speedway, where Kyle Larson went to victory lane for the first time in over two years. What does that mean for him? Can it propel him to a championship run? We'll talk about it. 917-889-8280. That's the number to call here tonight. Anything you want to talk about in the race NASCAR world, we will do it tonight here tonight on Talking in Circles. We'll also preview Talladega, NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series in action, as well as the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. It should be a wild weekend, a weekend that will throw a curveball, I'm sure, into the Cup Series, a curveball into the Truck Series as well. Uh I guess a bigger curveball than what was thrown in at Dover because Dover had a few curveballs. Joe Logano had issues. Elliott had some issues as well. Um, really put those guys really behind in points. Uh, also, you also had Ryan Blaney have a tough day there. He's behind in points as well. So we'll talk about it all. Nine seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here tonight. That's the number to call if you want to join the show here tonight on Talking in Circles. Uh, it was the Dryden 400 Spencer, Dover International Speedway. Um, when you think of Dover, you don't necessarily think of Kyle Larson, but yet here he is, goes out there. The second part of that race was probably the strongest car. It was a race in the first half of that race. was really dominated by Denny Hamlin in that 11 car. It seemed like Hamlin, for whatever reason, had engine issues and could never really ch- – you know, uh, the second half of that race never really be as fast as he was early. Kyle Larson was able to capitalize and went to victory lane on Sunday at Dover. What were your thoughts when you watched the closing stages of the Dryden 400? Yeah, as you mentioned, it was only dominated by really two drivers, and you had a couple other drivers that led some laps, but it was just a few. Um, I would have to say after, you know, the past couple of years, you know, uh, you have to think of Kyle Larson at Dover. Um, it's just a track that he runs really, really well out. Um, and he has a few of those tracks where he just runs really well out and he really hasn't figured out. And I feel like the last couple of years he has, um, and he was finally able to break through and get a win there. And that's good for the playoffs. You know, Talladega is next and you ain't got to worry about that. And that's just a wreck fest. Um, you know, it takes stress off the team, um, worries, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, he can just look forward to the round of eight. Um, and hopefully get to Miami, and you never know. This win could crown him as a champion because once he gets to Miami, you know how he is there. He runs that wall, and he's pretty dominant. Um, so, yeah, it was a good win for them. Um, I honestly didn't think we were going to get one this year. It just never really – it just always seemed like something would happen towards the end of the race. And they capitalized, and um, that's what it takes. You have to run these race per, uh, races perfect. You have to have good pit stops, and – um, he was able to come out on top and lock himself into the next round. And that's just only going to give him momentum. Um, you know, he's a hell of a racer. He can go out on every racetrack just about and run well. And um, so we'll see. And But it's a good win for Chip Ganassi. I think it's good momentum for the whole organization, not just the 42 team. Yeah, and listen, I was one of those drivers – or one of those drivers – one of those fans earlier this year who had come out and said, uh, hey, this might be the crew chief change over there with Chad Johnson and Kyle Larson – then all of a sudden we saw the team really pick up here in the second half of the year, and Larson goes out there, fill up, and, and completely dominates the second half of the race at Dover. What do you think this will do for him as far as a, a championship is concerned? I mean, I, I talked about Larson. I thought for sure that he would be a guy who could be the dark horse 
in these playoffs, a guy who could certainly win the championship if given the right opportunity. Well, right now he's advanced. He doesn't have to worry about Tom Beckett, like Spencer said, which is a big, big deal for him. He can sort of hang out in the back. He could, you know, uh, be 40 laps down and, and hanging out in the back and enjoying life and not have to worry about getting hurt, not to worry about tearing up race cars because he's locked into the next round. The only thing about Larson, and I'll say this again, is that Martinsville race. He's really struggled at Martinsville in his career, and i got to see more from him. And really, he's got to figure it out. But I think he's good at Texas. I think he's good at Phoenix. And we know what he's been able to do at Homestead over the last few years there. What are your thoughts on Larson? And can this win at Dover, in your mind, be sort of the turning point here in this playoff run for Kyle Larson to propel him to a championship run? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, for him to go and win on Sunday was a huge deal. It's a huge deal not just for him and for Johnson, considering how things have been for Ganassi, because losing Kurt Busch in round one of the playoffs, I think, was a huge um, blow uh, to the organization, because I honestly thought Kurt Busch was a sleeper uh, to, to win this championship and because of blowing a tire at Las Vegas. Uh, he gets eliminated, which means that he's kind of in an R&D role. You have some extra hands on deck once Petit Lamar finishes here this weekend or whatever for the championship run. Um, it's all hands on deck for young money to possibly go and do what Logano did, where he just kind of sneak, sneaky, quietly walks his way through wins. I mean, yeah, Martinsville's a definite problem for him. Uh, it's going to put a real pressure on both Texas and Phoenix for him to perform. Uh, I think going and accumulating more points, whether it's more stage and playoff points, is going to be a key uh, for Larson. But it's definitely, I mean, you know, it, it, this is the, the furthest Chad Johnson and him has ever went. So we're going to see what how they perform in, in a big spot. And, I mean, Larson's just kind of been, you know, quiet all year. But, hey, you know, I, I think he's he's ready to go. He's ready to, to pounce. And Chevrolet has made a lot of improvements, which in turn – probably by the end of this round is really only going to matter for uh, him. Um, maybe one of the Hendrick cars gets through, but I mean, really at the end of the day, it's going to be Kyle Larson is going to be the whole entire focus of Chevrolet. When you have Toyota, who's going to have three cars. They're going to be in the round of eight. You're going to have the Ford camp is going to lose some, lose some people probably as well. But, you know, the focus will probably be on at least one Penske car, possibly two, and a couple of Gibbs cars. So there really isn't going to be – I mean, a couple of Stuart Oscars, sorry. But the Chevy camp didn't put all their eggs in the basket of a 42 car. And it, he could sneak in, and, and if he gets – I mean, that's the whole point. We've always thought about it since this playoff format came along, since Kyle Larson was a rookie. And how well he's ran there, it's going to be the last time that Homestead is the finale. And wouldn't it be something if Kyle Larson can make that final four and have a chance um, on Championship Sunday? It, it has a lot more validity now than I would have said a few months ago. Um, 
even a few weeks ago when we were picking. But, you know, anything's possible now. And you really, and it proves the point, you don't have to be good. It's something we've been saying all year. You don't have to be good all year. You have to be good for 10 weeks. And if Kyle Larson can put together 10 weeks, which he's already put together, you know, four, you know, if he can put another six more together, he could be just like Tony Stewart and win a championship after not really theoretically being considered a top-line favorite for a title. Yeah, he'd be the first guy ever, I think. I mean, I, I don't think I know who would be twenty, who would have been twenty-first in the point standings, ten weeks into the year, and pull off a championship. Uh, that'd be a pretty remarkable run for him, considering that. But yeah, you know, I, I still think maybe we're overlooking this Dover. We're overreacting, I should say, to this Dover win here a little bit, uh, because it is only one race, and it is Dover, which is sort of a race track that we don't really see, especially in these last. Two races here. Obviously, you got Talladega, then in Kansas, uh, and then you got a, a crazy stretch where you got Martinsville, which is again a trap. Larson's got one top five at, one top ten at, I think even maybe one top fifteen at. Um, he struggled there. And then you got Texas, and of course Phoenix. And then if he gets that far, he he gets to run at Homestead. And we've always seen Larson sort of go out there in that final, uh, the last sort of hurrah there before he gets into Homestead. We've never really seen him run for a championship at Homestead, but he should be, if he's in it, he should be a threat. Another driver who I thought had a really fine day on Sunday, uh, Spencer, was Martin Trex Jr. Um, he had a, set, a solid day. He was sort of a top, was a top five car for most of the day. Uh, you know, I think he was a guy who maybe thought he was going to capitalize on the Denny Hamlin situation uh, but it was ended up being Larson. But a good solid day for Martin Truex Jr., one of his hometown racetracks, one of about 50 hometown racetracks for him. But a good solid day for him. Alex Bowman as well, a, a solid day for him. Harvick was there, uh, ended up fourth. And then, of course, you had Hamlin, who really led uh, 218 laps of this race, was really the dominant car in first, uh, you know, first half, first quarter of this race. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the rest of the top five there on what you saw Sunday at Dover? Yeah, I thought this was a good run for Truex. I mean, you really expect him to go out and run. I feel like ever since the start of 2017 season from now, um, you always got to look at him to win, go out and win a race. Um, you know, he's basically with the same team that he was over at Furniture Row, and his I, he's just become such – I wouldn't say just because he's become a better driver. Um, I feel like he's definitely improved as a driver. I wouldn't say he's improved a major amount, but just with the team he's with, he's um, – He's uh he's a threat at it every week, honestly. Um, he's a championship driver, and for Bowman, it's a good run for him. I mean, top three. Um, you know, he's fighting for the next round just like everybody else playoff is, and um, he, he might be cocky now, but um, the third place run was really good for him. It, it's a good points day. Um, and that's all you need. You need these solid top three finishes, top five finishes. Uh, to move on to the next round, and he he did his job. He did everything but win. Um, you know, you really can't ask any better than a top three finish if you can't win the race. So, um, Hendrick brought speed to Dover, um, at least for the 88, and the 48 wasn't too bad either. He got a top ten finish too. So, um, you just have to have these good finishes in order to plug off, and then, um, 
It's really all you can ask for besides winning. Hamlin, like you said, he dominated the whole first part of the race. Um, led over 200 laps, and just the win was, I mean, all he had he had laps led. It's just another car was just a little bit better than him, and that was the 42 at the end. And um, But all in all, good days for them. Kyle Busch, sixth. Um, you know, I, I don't have any, I don't see any problem with him not making the final four, honestly. So um, the whole top six right there were playoff drivers, and you know, that's all you can ask for is run up front, good points day, and move on to next week and hope you have a better day and stay out of trouble. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, especially when you guys, like you said, where Hamlin has a lot of playoff points, Harvick does as well, Cobbush does as well. You don't want to have that day where that, you know, Chase Elliott had or that Ryan Blaney had or that Joey Logano had that really puts you in a tough situation. And we'll talk about them in a little bit, in a little bit and what that's going to mean potentially to them for Talladega. Um, what else stands out to you, Philip, in the top ten? And let me ask you this, you know, previewing Talladega a little bit here. If you're Kyle Busch and you're Denny Hamlin, even if you're Kevin Harvick or Martin Truex Jr., um, and, and Alex Bowman, who seems to be in, a, in much better points-wise than he was entering Dover, how do you approach this race at Talladega? Do you go and sit there and go, well, you know what, we need all these point, stage points. We need to go up there and, and have a, a good solid day, get as many stage points as we possibly can, or – do you look at it and say, listen, you know, I don't want to tear up my race car. I, I want to hang out in the back and let these guys knock each other. And if we finish 15th, it's better than finishing 40th. Um, what, what do you think that these guys, especially the guys who are good in playoff points, which, which was Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Martin Trix Jr., Kevin Harvick, what do you think their strategy is going to be um, entering Talladega after a solid weekend at Dover? I mean, for – for Hamlin, he's always been known as an aggressive uh, driver at restrictor plate type tracks. I know that doesn't exist anymore, but I'm never. It's, it's hard for me to get rid of that thought. It's still the same kind of goofy racing. Uh, I feel like he's going to go for it. Uh, I think Truex is more liable to do a Dale Jarrett kind of run in the back strategy. Um, Kyle Busch has had catastrophic Talladegas almost or eliminate him from the playoffs in previous years or put him in a bad spot in previous years. So, but he's also won there. So, what does he really? What do you really know? What is going to happen there? I mean, what has gone on is now Chevys and Toyotas are working together against the Ford Brigade, which the Stewart Haas cars have been very fast at Daytona and Talladega, uh, Brad is known and Joey are known for their um, performance at those two racetracks. And, I mean, specifically for what is now the top five uh, in points, even including Larson, uh, for the exception of Denny Hamlin, I figure the rest of them are just going to run tailback, as Fluffy likes to say, and and then, you know, if they're trying to go for stage points, then they all draft up there and try to go and go for some stage points. But other than that, um, I don't think they're really going to be running all that hard. Um, they don't really have to. Um, it's, it's not to their benefit to do so. However, when it comes to Brad Keselowski, uh, when it comes to Alex Bowman, when Hendrick Motorsports is known for their um, Daytona and Talladega package, and Byron, who right now is on the cutoff, tied with Joey Logano, who's a multiple winner at Dega and, uh, you know, 
he's one at Daytona as well. It's going to be more interesting to see those guys and what they're going to do. Uh, Chase Elliott. I mean, basically, Hendrick Motorsports is up against you right now uh, with Clyde going and blowing up last week, and then Penske's also up against you right now with Blaney. You know, they've not had a great year and had a horrible Dover, and then Logano just had a catastrophe at the start of the race, and now all of a sudden it's going to flip it on its lid, which I, it's going to basically be the we're going to see. Hendrick and I think the Ford are going to be up front. And I would venture to say that the vast majority of the Toyotas are going to be holding out in the back until 30 or 40 to go. And if they're still left, which recent um, Daytona Talladega races say that that may not be the case anyway, um, then they'll race for it. But um, I would I would think, especially for Kyle Busch, especially after his first round that he had, which was not good at all. And his general performance in recent weeks in the last couple of months has been nowhere near the same as Truex and Hamlin. Uh, it's to his benefit to hold him back and wait until late, try to go and shoot the move in a race and then get himself in. Uh, because the third round really fits him way better than, you know, this round Yeah, it's very interesting to see how that all plays out here. Um, and, you know, it was a race at Dover that usually we see um, it be sort of a calm race. I mean, I wasn't too thrilled with with, uh, with the entertainment value of Dover, um, you know, but there were some it's very interesting things that went on, and we're going we're gonna to touch into that next. Uh, but when you round of the top ten, a nice run again for Matthew Benedetto. You know, we, we talked about him earlier in the year about how good of a run he was having in that 95 car. He's going to be in the 21 next year. But a nice solid day for him in seventh. Jimmy Johnson in eighth, a nice job there. He was the final car in the lead lap, uh, but not the typical Jimmy Johnson we usually see at Dover. This is one of Jimmy's uh, iconic racetracks. He's won here a lot. It's a racetrack when you know Jimmy Johnson, that 48 team is on they're on, and the fact that a Chevrolet went out and went to victory lane on Sunday, and Jimmy Johnson led one lap, still shows you that Hendrick Motorsports, and maybe even Jimmy Johnson and F48 team has some work to do uh, as this season rolls on, oh, rolls along here, and we get to the 2020 season. Um, Kurt Busch was ninth, and Clint Boyer ended up 10th, he had Kozlowski in 11th, but the drivers who really had a tough day, uh, and we'll start Philip this time, um, a couple of guys, a couple of drivers who really had a tough day was Joe Logano, Ryan Blaney, and of course Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott have blown an engine. Ryan, Joe Logano having a freak, freak incident with uh, what looked to be uh, an axle on the opening lap of the race. He didn't even complete a lap, and then Ryan Blaney having suspension issues. Uh, it really put them at a at a terrible, terrible situation to go into Talladega. They're going to have to race hard, race really, really hard to get at Talladega here to get themselves in a in a situation. You know, it, if this was, honestly, Philip, if this was the old format where we didn't have stages, I would think these guys, the best bet might be hanging around in the back for the first 400 miles of this race. But with stages, they need as many points as they can get. So really the stages and, and it being at this era of NASCAR has really changed the game 
with Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, and Joe Logano. They're not too far back right now. Um, you know, only four, you know, uh, seven points back for for seven points back for Chase Elliott. Uh, Logano's in a decent in decent shape, but he's eighth right now, right on the cutoff with William Byron, and then Blaney's really in a tough situation. He's way back off of eighth. Uh, he's going to really need a solid day. But it's amazing to me just because this era has changed it because you could have hung in the back if you're Ryan Blaney and said, you know what, we're going to try and take a 10th place finish and get a top 10 by hanging in the back and doing the old Dale Jarrett thing. He can't do that this weekend at Talladega because he needs all the stage points he can get. So you're going to really see, I think, that 12 car going hard uh, from, from the drop of the green flag. Yeah, I mean, for Blaney, it's it's all in. There's no, he has no margin error anymore. I mean, if he comes back on a record on Sunday, it is what it is. It'll be like what Eric Jones' situation was in the first round in Kurt Busch. And considering what this year has been, he hasn't been, he's basically somewhere between 9th to 12th all year. So that's where he's probably going to finish it unless he goes and wins on Sunday or he follows the Titanic. I find Joey Logano's chances, based on his history, to be way better, even with this horrible, uh, you know, not even getting to complete a lap. You know, there's been issues a couple of years ago. They didn't even make the playoffs. And then this past a year ago, they, they went and won the championship. And him and Todd Gordon, they've been through the ringer together. And Joey Logano's been through the ringer as a driver. And I think if there's one person that's going to respond to this adversity, it's going to be him. He's won a Talladega, as I said before, and Penske's really good there. It really plays in his hand. You know, if, if you're going to tell me that he has to beat, you know, Alex Bowman, William Byron, Boyer, and Clyde, I figure he has a pretty good shot of beating most, if not all of them. Uh, when it comes to the chase, I think Hendrick has to figure it out. They have to decide what are they going to do. Are they trying to get, are they trying to get Chase in there? Because theoretically, he might have the best chance to make the final four. Are they hedging? to get the 88 and the 24 in on points and kind of just be happy that they both get top 10. I think that's a situation they have to start thinking about. I mean, if Bowman does what he's kind of been doing, you know, quietly going about business, running into RCR cars and stuff, then he'll probably finish in the top. He'll make the third round anyway. But in the way that Chad Kenhouse has been doing things, it's very likely that William Byron isn't going to screw himself out of uh, the playoffs, but I I am concerned for Ryan Blaney. I don't. He hasn't had the speed most of the year to have make me think that he's going to go out there and win two races. Uh, Chase has won multiple races this year, including Talladega earlier this year. So not out of the realm that he goes and gets a sweep. And he won Kansas last year. So. The fact is he's not out of it. And Joey Logano is one at both of those racetracks, too. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that both of them make it in on wins, and then all of a sudden that bubble is between Brad Keselowski, Alex Bowman, you know, William Byron, 
and Clint Boyer. Uh, and then that would be a little more interesting, uh, to say the least. But then this could all be a bunch of, you know, nothing because half of them get wrecked in, early in the race, and then it will flip the points on the quick. You know, some of the guys that are up front that have a lot of points, like, like the Gibbs guys, get involved in the wreck or have mechanicals, and then all of a sudden this whole playoff flips the quick. So I guess we'll find out more in detail uh, as the weekend comes along. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, and Talladega is going to change so many things. There are a lot of drivers. Even, you know, Larson is in such good shape. You know, that, that makes that race so – that wins so much more important for him. I mean, Harvick and Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin and Martin Trish Jr., I think they're in good shape, even Kozlowski and Alex Bowman. But, uh, you know, when you get to those drivers rest on back there from eighth on back, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be wild. And, um, you know – I don't even think Kozlowski and Bowman can have a big issue this weekend. They gotta run hard too. Brad to me is is the best driver, um, best super speedway racer that we have in this sport currently. Um, so I, I think he's gonna have a big day. But you know, how, Spencer, do you have a problem with Talladega? I mean, a lot of people have a problem with Talladega being in these playoffs because it's such a crapshoot. Um, there's so many accidents that can happen. Taken out by somebody else's wrecks, by somebody else's just boneheaded decisions, and you might be sitting there running in the top five, top ten, and all of a sudden, you know, your car sideways, and you're in the out, in the outside wall, and you're done, and your playoff hopes are dashed because of that. Do you have a problem with that? And uh, if so, you know, what do you think NASCAR could do to fix that? No, I don't have a problem with it, and I tell you why, because there needs to be. All the racetracks, we have a road course in the playoffs. We have, you know, regular mile and a half. We have less than miles, and now we have a super speedway. Why take one of our tracks out of the playoffs? I think you need to have every racetrack that we race on in the regular season, they must be in the playoffs. And another reason is I feel like it gives everybody advantage. You know, yes, you can get wrecked, and it can wad up 30 cars. But every playoff driver who goes there – they're all with good teams. They all have, you know, you know, the best equipment in the sport. So, really, when they go there, that race is an even race for all of them because, you know, I mean, you can see – I mean, look what Justin Haley did in the Spire 77. He was running in the top ten with just a handful of laps to go, and he got taken out. So, if all of them guys in the back have a good shot, well, then it makes all the playoff guys have an even shot because they're with the best teams. You know what I'm saying? So – um, no, I don't see a problem with it. I think we need to have Talladega in there. Um, I'd rather see Daytona in there because I I live five minutes away from it, ten minutes away from it. But, no, it, there definitely needs to be a super speedway track in there, um, and I don't think it needs to go away. Um, if they want to move it around in the schedule, sure, but I it needs to be in there somewhere. So um, applaud to NASCAR for keeping it in there. Yeah, it's interesting um, because it was – it used to be the elimination race, and a lot of people, I think even drivers came out and, you know, kind of said, we don't want an elimination race anymore just because, you know, that's your last shot at it. Um, Philip, what are your thoughts on this Talladega being in these playoffs? I mean, it's, it's would you be okay with it if it was earlier in the playoffs where it was 16, it was in the round of 16 instead of the round of 12? Um, or would you like to see get rid of Talladega altogether in the playoffs and just have it sort of, you know, remember Daytona next year is is a track with the same style, and it is a regular season finale next year. So that that, that 
they're not only going to have one race with the restricted plates that's going to have a major impact on the championship. There's going to be two races. And, you know, my theory on this a little bit was, you know, you could put it on the drivers because the drivers at the end of the day are the ones ultimately in control of these race cars. Uh, and Philip, you remember, and I'm not, I don't think Spencer does because I don't think he was born, but the day after, the, the race after Earnhardt got killed, you know, we had a caution-free race at Talladega. And people forget that um, because everybody was ran with their heads. They weren't cutting people off. They weren't doing stupid decisions that sent them to the outside wall. Now, um, and we're a long way from that. We've come a long way in safety since then. Uh, but I, I still think the drivers ultimately are the ones that put themselves in these crazy opportunities. And they're the if we see restricted plate racing come, or excuse me, super speedway racing come down to uh, civilization again, to where everybody can sort of tolerate a little bit better. I think ultimately that's going to fall on the drivers' shoulders. But what are your thoughts on on Talladega and just Talladega in general being in the playoffs, Philip? I mean, I I was a fan when I had a driver like Davey Allison or you know, stuff like Ernie Irvin when they were really good there. Uh, there was a couple year run where my driver was the best, had the best restricted play car there was. And other than that, he was absolute garbage at it. Um, Talladega, I've never really been a fan of, honestly. Um, it's great for stereotypes. It's great for the fans. Obviously, people love going there. Good for highlight reels for NASCAR and Big crashes. Uh, having in the playoffs, I like the idea, like you're talking about, move it back. You know, make it the second race. You know, because in the end, I think it, it in the round of 16, I'd say, hey, why not? You know, make a round of 16. Because you know that there's dead weight, honestly, in the round of 16. Like, I think in the case of, like, a Kurt Busch, who should have won in July at Daytona, he goes out there, you know, it's a crapshoot second race. After he, he has a hard, you know, a bad year failure, and he gets to go to Talladega, he's not the biggest fan of restricted play racing or any super speedway racing. But, you know, all of a sudden, it's kind of a reprieve. It's like, oh, okay, I have a chance here. And then you go to the, I mean, but then you'd have to move the Roval kind of deal because the Roval's a wild card within itself. Um, but, I mean, it is what it is. They're not going to – they used to have this race in July, uh, a couple of weeks after the the Coke Zero 400. So uh, they moved that a long time ago. They moved, they've moved the one race from somewhere either in April or May and kind of flip-flop back and forth with the first race. And this race was in July uh, for many years. But – or the other race was in July, I think they just because this used to be the Winston 500. But I mean, they're never going to do anything about it. They want to keep Talladega in the spot, and that's fine. I mean, in relative terms, they're going to have one of these races. I do agree with Spencer, though. If you're going to have one, why don't you just put the Coke Zero 400 and you moved it off July the 4th? Why don't you put it in the playoff? It'll make more sense, honestly. It'll give more validity back to uh, that particular race, and I would go one step further and move Richmond back, albeit with the current rules package that's not doing uh, Richmond, but move Richmond back, put Darlington in a spot where it actually 
that's going to be in the playoffs next year, so that'll be interesting. But, you know, putting uh, Daytona in versus Talladega, uh, I think Daytona, you need to have you need to have a little more driving talent, uh, driving ability to win there than you do at Talladega. But it is what it is. We have this schedule and the way NASCAR is going right now, I think they aren't really going to do anything that involves listening to real fans. So just take and move and I'll, I'll wait until we're about to see to go and hear the highlights when half the field's in, in the garage. Yeah, uh, it's certainly a, an interesting race as far as it's just so much different than than uh, any other race we've seen. Don't forget, you know, we have the Cup Series race, which we touched on a little bit. Also, the uh, Truck Series, Gander Outdoor Truck Series event will be run. It's the Sugarlands Shine 250 NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series race at Talladega. It's their first race in, in just about a month. The last time they ran was uh, September 13th at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Austin Hill went to victory lane. That evening, um, and the next time they're going to run is October 12th. So it's, it's been 30 days. Uh, it'll be 30 days by the time they get to the racetrack at Talladega. And then they got two more weeks off. Uh, you know, they, they run um, the Cup Series runs over there at Kansas. And then they, excuse me, they got one week off. Then they go to Martinsville. Then they got another week off. Then they go to Phoenix. And then they run Homestead. Remember, Texas has moved from uh, the, the third to last race of the year. It was moved up till uh, June, the second Texas race this year. So that's a little bit different, a little bit of a unique change into the schedule, which means Talladega for them will be um, a their first race of the, of the round of six in the truck series for them uh, this weekend at Talladega. And if you forget exactly how the points shake out right now in the truck series, Brett Moffitt is the leader in the points. He's got 3,034 points. Austin Hill is second with 3,017 points. Then, of course, Ross Chastain, the favorite to win uh, in a lot of people's eyes. He's got 3,016 points. And then Stuart Friesen, he's fourth with 3,014 points. Matt Crafton and Tyler Ankrum still alive in a championship race, um, but barely there uh, with, with those two as Enfinger and Sauter were eliminated in the playoffs after Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, but a new, a new round, a new a change, I'm sure, for Crafton and, and Ankrum, who – uh, Ankrum really picked it up in the middle part of the year on a mile and a half. You know, Talladega, again, is going to be a, a crapshoot for these guys. Usually what we see with Matt Crafton is to go to the rear and hang out. He does it at Daytona all the time. That's his strategy. Now, that's in the beginning of the year, not a playoff race. Um, but Crafton doesn't really like to mix it up in these, in these super speedway events. It's going to be very interesting. The truck series, to me, is much more interesting as far as mine is concerned. Than the uh, Xfin- than even the Cup Series or the Xfinity Series, just because you know, drivers in the Truck Series who've really never run on on super speedways before, and if they have, they might have only one or two starts in a Truck Series. I mean, let's look at some of these names this weekend. Uh, you know, in the Truck Series that you know you don't normally see down. Um, you know, Brian Dowsett, he runs um, Dowsett, excuse me, he runs these uh, super speedway races a lot. He's, he's kind of a veteran there, but that team doesn't race a lot over there at FDNY racing in the, in the 28 truck. Clay Greenfield, another driver who just shows up for really the super speedways. He's another guy in there that I think a lot of people might be looking at going, ooh, about. Um, and, and, you know, just the names of this series. Uh, Timothy Peters is going to be back 
Uh, he, he won this race a year ago, if you remember, driving um, for TMS. And he's going to be driving the 87 this weekend for uh, Nemco Motorsports. John Hunter moves to the 8th. Joni Machek off the, the race. But it's just – it gives these guys who don't normally run up front, these guys who don't normally mix it up, um, who don't have a ton of experience either. Mason Massey, you know, he doesn't have a ton of experience in the truck series. Angela Rush, she doesn't have a ton of, ton of experience in the truck series as well. Uh, and that, to me, Spencer, is what makes this truck series event at Talladega just so wild and why you might see drivers and teams up there. You know, we've seen so many crazy winners here. We talked about Timothy Peters last year. He was a part-time driver. Parker Kligman won this race and with a part-time team a couple of years ago. You know, we sort of see these drivers and these teams that don't normally run up front, don't normally, um, you know, race up there, and they keep their track position, and they usually go up there and, and have a solid run, if not run for the win. Uh, it's gonna be, I'm curious to see what Crafton does. I'm curious to see what these KG veterans do in this Truck Series event uh, at Talladega. What are your thoughts as we enter uh, the Sugarland Shines 250 at Talladega on, on Saturday, Spencer? Yeah, it's always cool to see the smaller teams up front running. Um, you know, it's a good idea for Nemco to put two uh, trucks in the uh, field because, you know, uh, Joe Neem- or John Hunter, you know, this is the race that uh, almost took him out of the playoffs when he was, um, you know, almost won the Truck Series Championship a couple years ago when he was running for his father. Um, and he ran up front. And, you know, that's a smaller team. Um, for those who don't know, Joe Nemechek owns that team. And, um, you know, it's a real small, you know, him and his son and his son don't get to race it a lot anymore. But, um, and you mentioned some guys like Timothy won it last year. Got, uh, you know, he was a, you know, he was a top name in the truck series. Won, you know, won a decent amount and then lost his ride with red horse. And, you know, he's, you know, uh, bouncing around from teams at certain tracks. Um, and it's just cool to see those guys come back. And, you know, like you said, the guys who don't run up front, get up front and make a name for themselves. And, um, Honestly, I, I'm not even going to pick a winner. Uh, the winner is going to be the guy who crosses the line um, and takes the checker flag. And it's just because there's so many young kids in this race, and um, and it's just going to be it's going to be chaos is what it's going to be. It's going to be a wreck fest, um, and but it's going to be exciting. It's going to make it for a great race, uh, and I'm ready to watch it. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. How about you? Uh, you know, Philip, you have a lot more experience. Certainly than I do uh, watching the races at Talladega, and I know certainly more than Spencer. Uh, if you're Carl Joyner, or if you're uh, Kevin Bonomanian, who's the crew chief of the uh, the 88 truck and the 17 trucks, trucks that are sitting there on the outside looking in right now, and I know it's only the first race of of the round of six for these guys, so they still have two races to rebound. Uh, like I said, you know, uh, Martinsville and Phoenix, which is sort of short track races, which might help some of these teams. But what are your and, and really any crew chief? Um, that's in the playoffs. Those six drive, those six trucks. Um, what are, what are your what's your mentality going into this race? Is it different than what we see in the Cup Series because we have so many teams and drivers that are that um, don't normally run up front that don't have a ton of experience? Or if you know your Carl Junior Joiner sitting there going, listen, um, we need to get every, every, all the points we can get. This is a good time to get them. Let's try and get as many points as we can so we, we run good. Even if we crash in stage three, we can lean on our points from the, from the stages of one and two. Uh, what's your mentality going into this race? You know, again, it's just that 88 truck fascinates me because usually Crafton's the guy 
who hangs out in the rear until the end of the race, and then he, he gets moving forward. Yeah, I mean, for for Crafton, I mean, for he's had plenty of low lights running these speedway races that NASCAR's made money off of. And but the difference with him compared to Tyler, um, Tyler Ankrum is he has three teammates that are all out. That Grant Enfinger is a former winner there. Johnny Sauter's a former winner there. I mean, Ben Rhodes is liable to wreck half the field or have a chance to win. But the reality is the four of them together could work together with the common goal of getting crafting stage points, a playoff point, and or a victory. Because now the whole focus for Thor Sport is to get the 88 to Homestead that Crafton has a chance at his third championship. There is no other focus anymore. Sure, you know, Enfinger, after being the regular season champion at home, it's a home race for him, wants to get a win. Sure, that'd be great. Uh, Slaughter's had quite an interesting year, uh, and he's always liable to be up front. So for Crafton, I think it's, it's more of a case of he can dictate whatever strategy, but he also has to keep in mind it's such a small gap to make it into the, the final four right now based on points that with a good score in the first two stages, he could give himself a little bit of a buffer when the stupidity happens, which will, when you consider the, you know, you have Jesse Luigi and Angela Rock and Riley Herbst and Decker and, Rhodes and some of these other interesting characters. I mean, you're you're liable to have multiple wrecks. And, I mean, Greenfield's going to have a really fast cross for sure, and he's shown that he can run up there, but then somebody's going to turn him while he's running in the top five and wreck. So does Crafton go and play the Dale Jarrett strategy, or does he go and play an offensive strategy, give himself some extra points, and then when the craziness happens, I mean, I, I would venture to say he runs hard to get the stage point, possibly get a stage win, and then goes to the back until the end of the race, and then whatever happens, happens. Uh, Anklin doesn't have that same situation because Alfredo's also a rookie. I think the two of them together could really – Work. I mean, if they had this, if it wasn't for the stupidity of NASCAR having to block off radiators and stuff, letting people tandem, it would probably be a little better for some of these people that have a little more control of their own destiny. But I, I figure Ankrum's best chance to hold on and possibly make the final four would be at, at Phoenix or Martinsville, though I don't really give them, I don't really rate them very highly. Phoenix. Um, he, he probably is. Bono knows how to win at Talladega. He did with Truex and Chance to uh, They have decent trucks. I wouldn't put it past them to go and have a fast seat for Saturday afternoon and maybe he gets to dictate what happens uh, and, you know, kind of shoot the moon and get himself into the final four and really make, you know, the, the, the favorite being Brett Moffitt, you know, to a lesser extent, Austin Hill, uh, 
And then, of course, Ross Chastain really has to think about what they have to do at both uh, Martinsville and at Phoenix, which they have gaps between every race now. So they have time to prepare until Phoenix, which is back-to-back weeks, but it really doesn't matter. So I I think Mm -hmm. it's going to be – this is a race where the people that are not the so-called favorites can kind of flip the lid flip the script and give themselves an opportunity. I mean, GMF has shown that they have fast trucks, which means the two and the 24 should be up there anyway. And maybe Brett Moss would win yet another race to play and get themselves close yeah. to that second championship. Yeah, truck series is going to be very, very interesting just because it is the first race of the third round, of the second round, excuse me, the round of six for them. And uh, it's going to see how the chips fall off Talladega. You know, this weekend could cost somebody a championship, and it could win somebody, essentially win somebody a championship, or at least get them into the Final Four at Homestead. Um, you know, and that's what makes this race crazy is, you know, if one of those six drivers win, they're in at Homestead. You know, and, and that's not the way it is in the Cup Series. So uh, it sort of makes you, you know, it makes it very interesting um, to see how, you know, like I said, because you have drivers who might be going for points. We also have drivers who might sit there and go, well, the win's everything. Um, you know, because we get to pull, we, we don't have to worry about points because we advance to Homestead anyway with a victory. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Just want to touch on something here, guys, before we end the show tonight. And I know we can get into a lot of of discussion with this, so I don't want to get too crazy looking down the line because it is twenty twenty one when this next gen car will appear. Um, but there are a few things. Uh, that NASCAR is kicking around. I want to get an opinion on. I'm going to start with Spencer on this because I'm curious to see what the newer fan, you know, I, I'm kind of an old school fan. I know Philip is too, so we're sort of in the same group. Um, but I'm kind of curious on the newer fans' perspective on this. Uh, Bob Pockers tweeted earlier in the week NASCAR is leaning towards going to one lug on each wheel for the 2021 Gen 7 next gen race car, whatever you want to call it, uh, that will debut in 2021. Which means, you know, those five lug nuts and what we see with normal pit stops will be gone. It'll just be one lug nut like we see in IndyCar. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Spencer? It will might it might really put an end to the modern day pit crew as we know it. Uh, what are your thoughts as a newer fan? Do you like the team aspect of the pit crews, or do you think that the one lug nut would sort of save teams money and? Uh, you know, sort of add a new element into into racing, into stock car racing that we've never seen before. What are your thoughts? Just because I'm a new fan, I still have an old soul. Um, no, I don't like it at all. And um, I think going with one lug nut, you're getting into the IMSA type stuff. When I saw the car, the first thing I thought of was the IMSA wheel, you know, that you would see on the Porsches and the Ferraris and all that crap that runs it. Over here, and I go to the Rolex sometimes over here at Daytona, and um, that's not NASCAR. Um, the wheel, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the picture, but the wheel didn't look nothing like a NASCAR, um, you know, wheel. You know, and I, I think I, – I listened to uh, Bubba Ballard, or however you pronounce his name, and he said, I'm not knocking NASCAR, but I think NASCAR is forgetting where they came from a little bit, and um, and I kind of agree with him. I think they're trying to get – you know, into the new modern era, the way the direction things are going. And I think they're, you know, 
they're just like he said they're forgetting where they came from and they're trying to change mm-hmm. it too much and I think the pit crew's hopping over the wall and changing five lugs and um you know in a quick stop is you know that's it's pretty remarkable what them guys are able to do that fast and um no I I, I don't really like the one lug nut but uh they're not going to listen to Spencer Callen over in Daytona Beach so I don't really have say in it <laughs> so you know whatever whatever they do I guess we're going to have to live with it and um, there's nothing we're going to be able to do about it, but I would really like that they would just keep the five lugs or and uh, keep it the way we have it now. Well, I, I obviously I'm going to completely agree with you on that, and I I'll, I'll kind of echo what Bubble was saying a little bit as far as forgetting the roots. Where I just think the big biggest problem is they are trying to appease everybody, and when you try and appease everybody, you know what you do? You please nobody, and I honestly think that's what it's coming down to. You know, I don't think there's a race fan in in NASCAR, and and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there's a NASCAR fan who would sit there and say, oh, I like one lug nut better than five. Oh, I like taking the team aspect out of stock car racing. That's great. Good. The reason why they're doing this, and we all know why they're doing this, is because their team owners don't want to pay the money for these pit crew guys anymore. That's what it comes down to. We've heard it in the truck series where they're talking about maybe doing a halftime break in the truck series where uh, – like what we, used to, what we used to have, and you don't have to pay those, those pit crew guys. And I'll admit, maybe the pit crew guys have gotten out of hand. You know, mid, early to mid-90s, it was, it was guys who um, worked on a race car, and they just pitted the car because you know, they were working on a race car on Sunday, and they said, oh, well, we need somebody to pit the car too. Here you go. Ray Everham and, and, and that 24 bunch, the Rainbow Warriors – sort of changed all that by, by getting guys, former athletes who were conditioned into pit crew drive, into actual pit crew guys who did nothing but change the tires and fuel the car, and that's all they did. And the salaries and demands for these drivers, for these pit crew guys, excuse me, went up, 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 and up to a point where we're getting to a point where cost-wise it's getting crazy. But, Philip, I, I just can't understand how something like that will be beneficial in the long run. Because I think, like I said, you know, and, and I know you are a fan of, of motorsports, and so I, I hope you don't take this as a knock. But, damn it, I love NASCAR racing. I don't care that much about IndyCar. I don't care about Formula One. I don't care about IMSA. All that. They can do whatever they want to do over there. I don't care. I love stock car racing. I grew up on stock car racing. I don't want it to be anything like Formula One. I don't want it to be anything like IndyCar. I don't want it to be anything like IMSA. The reason why I like stock car racing is because it was different than all of them. And it looks like, Philip, they're going to put it back into where it's, it's a mixture of everything. You know, oh, well, we got this from IndyCar. Oh, well, we got this from – well, you had something great in NASCAR. You're one of the, you are one of the, the premier racing divisions in, in the world. And yet you're taking everything else from everything else, but you're not keeping what made NASCAR great. And to me, the team aspect of that is a major part of this. Um, and again, you know, it, to me, Philip, it is just NASCAR listening to everybody, trying to appease everybody, and forgetting about the fans who really love watching the team aspect of this, and, uh, and they're taking that away. What are your thoughts on, on the one lug nut? If they go that route here, in 2021. I mean, if, if we're going to go in terms of the things that bother me about 
the gen seven, the next gen, whatever that piece of crap that they're going to put on the racetrack in 2021. The one lug nut is probably a little bit below a few other things uh, for me. The reality is they're what's going to end up happening is they're still going to have these same pictures in the cup series and they're not going to air jack. So they're still going to have to have a jack and they're still going to have a gas can and they're still going to have a tire carry on the tire. Jack. So what's going to end up happening is they're going to have to spend more on these guys to be even more accurate and more on on point with their uh you know they're getting tires on and off i mean the one plus good point that comes, the one plus that comes from this is this whole steel bs and uh lug loose lugs garbage that they call at the end of races <laughs> goes away because at the end of the day if you leave one lug loose well Charlie, that wheel's going off into the into the woods while you're going and driving with the other side with your wheel. So right. you're gonna be the one that looks like an idiot when, when you have three wheels on your car and your race is over. Um, do I as somebody who's watched multi, who watches multiple forms of racing, is that something that's really going to affect anything? When you consider that NASCAR is basically with with how much they've placated Toyota, they want basically Toyota to dictate how all these rules have been. They've been dictating rules since 2015. I'm not shocked they were going to one lug with that particular. Um, Toyota, of course, has been uh, synonymous with ruining multiple motorsports series, but that's beside the point. That's for a whole entire other episode. Um, the car is not a great car. The package that they're utilizing is not going to bring in new OEMs. One lug nut's not going to bring in OE, new OE. It's not going to save money on victory. It's just going to mean that they're going to have to spend even more time on being precise, which means they're going to have to yeah. do even more things. So in the end, whether they do one lug or five lugs, and here's the other thing. Bad year doesn't know how to make a good tire and hasn't made a good tire in decades, whether it's for the road or for a race car. I don't remember Goodyear making a, a, a good tire since probably the early 90s, and that's borderline, even that. The fact is now they're being asked to make an 18-inch tire for this new car. They have not proven over the past 20-plus years of me watching racing that they know how to make a good racing tire. So now you're asking, you're going to put a one lug on some goofy rim that they're probably going to come up with something stupid, because all the Daytona Beach Mafia are going to sit there, and they're going to figure out some goofy rim to put on the car, because Austin Dillon likes it or something. And then they're going to put that crappy Goodyear tire on there. And they're going to go to the Daytona 500 and probably have a 10, 10 tire fix. That's what's going to end up happening to the Daytona 500 because they're idiots and they don't test. So one lug nut is not, not my concern in terms of what this car and this whole right. thing is going to be. I'm more concerned of a whole lot of other issues that these geniuses that don't know anything about racing and have never worked on a car let alone a race car, are going and making these changes, and you're letting the LCD dictate how you're going to make this car, and it's not going to it's not going to race anything like how it raced 25 years ago. It's not going to race anything like how it raced 20 years or 15. 
So it's it's not right. something that I'm truly concerned with because I don't think it really changes much or anything in terms of cost. It's not going to the other series, so it's not something that really is going to be changing for any of the big time. You know what? You know what I found funny was, and I don't mean to to part from Austin Dillon because he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, but you know, he comes out and he says it ran, it raced good, it ran good. But if you know, in 2021, through the first four races, if if you know the product isn't where it's supposed to be, you know, the talking heads in Daytona and talking heads on the radio are going to say, "Give it some time." Yet Austin Dillon comes out after one test session uh, with a car that was barely even out in the racetrack by himself. And he tells you it drives much better than the old car. You know, it's almost comical when you hear that, um, and it, it just makes you wonder what's the point. Uh, you know, there are some things I like that they're doing. I, I think the the uh, spending cap that's eventually going to be coming in 2021 is a little bit more of a creative uh, way to save some money. I still think maybe there's going to be hopefully uh, some other additions to that, and hopefully we'll find some details to that. So I like that aspect of it, but the whole new race car, yeah. It, who knows? You know, I don't trust them at all. This this is a, an organization that's got two race cars now. You want to consider the Gen Six, not a great one, and uh, the COT. We know that the disaster that's been, you know, they've come out and admitted that was a disaster. Um, so that's two race cars now where they've come out and they sort of didn't get right. So now you're trusting these folks who didn't get the first two race cars right to build this third car right. Um, you know, I, I just I don't have much left. In much faith left in me to do that. I want to thank Spencer Cowan and Philip Matthew. Uh, you guys are always great, and uh, it was good to be back. Good to be back talking racing. I enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you next time here on Talking in Circles. We'll watch the weekends at Talladega, and we'll see where everything shakes out. It's going to be like Russian roulette uh, to see where everybody shakes out points-wise, but uh, it should be fun. And maybe we'll see some wild and crazy finishes and a wild and crazy winner in victory lane. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time.